You know, like, what is the healthy way of, of being healthy? Even more insidiously is if you try to achieve that end, you can't. Right? So it sets you up for the fall and then blames you for when you fail. Yo, what's going on? Welcome to Owls at Dawn. We are just two dudes from Southern California who studied philosophy, politics, and religion around the world and decided to start a podcast where we could bullshit with impunity. I am Austin Hayden Smith. And I am Troy Polidori. And this week we are going to be chatting about dude shit. That's right. We are going to be talking about dude shit. Let's bro out, bro. You ready to bro out for about an hour? I think that the subtitle of this podcast could just be guys being dudes, really. (laughs) Guys being dudes. That is going to be the subtitle of this podcast. So basically, there was a Wisecrack video that came out this past week on how the male wellness industry exploits our insecurities. And I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on in this video. So we're going to kind of just basically summarize this video. What is the male wellness industry? Who are kind of the leading figures? And then in what ways are they sort of maybe creating and then exploiting insecurities for profit, gain, et cetera, et cetera? And then what type of effects does this have? And then I guess more than anything, what I'm curious about then, like what would it then mean to be a dude and be interested in wellness, fitness, taking care of yourself, um, doing things that are quote-unquote typically dude things in a way that would be healthy. Like how can you become adjusted, if you will, to some of these um, underlying issues? So that's going to be the topic of our main segment. Sound good, brother? Yeah, man. What even is health? Maybe we'll get to that. I don't know. Exactly. Hey, no, that's a fantastic question. <laughs> um Hold on to that one. I think that's a great question. So that's exactly what we'll do. Do we have to do any housekeeping before we start? Is there anything we need to clear up before we get going? Yeah, real quick, just a couple of things about um, our Patreon. First of all, just for those who maybe aren't members, you can join um, our Patreon community at patreon.com slash dawn and get access to stuff like our backlog of bonus episodes, um, the community discord, and the ability to vote on our next Patreon-sponsored episode. And speaking of that, uh, we've had our poll running for the uh, next patron-sponsored episode. And the winner, I think we mentioned last time, was um, philosophy of education slash pedagogy. And we have chosen a topic. We're going to read an essay by Duncan Pritchard. It's titled Epistemic Virtue and the Epistemology of Education for anybody out there who maybe wants to read it before we do an episode on it. And we're not going to do that for their next episode, but for the episode after that, we're going to record on philosophy of education pedagogy for our patrons. Sweet. Sounds good. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll broaden that discussion out too, kind of tie it into some things like we talked about, like Paulo Freire and the pedagogy of the oppressed and Talk about other deeper questions about what is education for, et cetera, et cetera. So it should as be, we do, uh, yeah, as we do, as we, we don't as really we do exposition do. on this podcast, as you all know. <laughs> I mean, every once in a while, when we're doing our book club, and maybe one of these days we'll get back to Marcus Gabriel. That seems to be pretty expository, no? Yeah, I mean, we do exposition, but we're not tied to exposition, right? We go off the that, rails. exactly. That's right. That's right. We reserve the right to go off the rails. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get into this madness. All right, so you know what we got to do before we do anything about the main segment, dude, and that is the shitty minute. For those who don't know, the shitty minute is the part of the podcast where one of us rants and raves about whatever it is that's grinding our gears this week. So, Austin, what's got you down? 
What did people even talk about before coronavirus? I mean, because it feels like that's just what people talk about now, right? Like even even people who are really just really interesting people who have lots of things to say, it's all about like, I don't know, let's talk about poetry in the time of coronavirus and thought in the time of coronavirus. And it, I'm trying to do my interesting things, but I'm in lockdown. So there again, coronavirus has snuck its way back into everyday discussion. But so I, I read this tweet, and so I'm going to talk about coronavirus. Um, I read this tweet <laughs> yesterday from, uh, from a young woman who I believe she was 25, and she was basically – and it was one of the tweets that kind of went semi-viral. And she was basically just venting her frustrations about having been locked down for two years now at this stage in her 20s. And some people kind of like, I guess, some people slated her a little bit for being a little bit um, like like entitled and whiny. I don't think, I don't think that that's true at all because essentially she was just saying, look, I did not think that at this point in my 20s, I would have two years of my life essentially on hold. She's like, yeah, I'm privileged. I've got a job. I can work from home. That's all great. She's like, but what about like going out and meeting people and going out and having my social life and stuff like that? And then someone in the comments said, like, I totally feel what you're saying. And they were like, uh, I'm in my, the guy was like, I'm in my, like, I'm a, a dad in my early 40s. He said, but I'm really worried about my children who are 10, 7, and I can't remember what the other age was, but I remember 10 and 7. And I just kind of like, for some reason, it was just something that hadn't hit me as hard before, but about how people's lives have kind of been on hold. I mean, not that they, they haven't really been on hold. Like people are still living, right? Like that's the weird thing is there's this weird contradiction. Living means something quite different when you're under quarantine or when you're in a lockdown or heavy social restrictions or when there's this social panic that is surrounding you it just means something very different and it's been um it's been what a year a year and a half now i guess since everything kind of kicked off and it just made me think about like what are the effects of of people missing out on opportunities like if you're 23 to 25 there are so many opportunities that that maybe I would have had or, um, you know, five years ago that someone would have looked forward to trying putting yourself in the situation so that you can can have an opportunity, whether it's to meet a partner or whether it's to um, have some sort of interesting career or artistic opportunity or some sort of amazing stimulating conversation or finding a book at a bookstore that changes your entire trajectory. Like, you'd never know the, the amount of amazing or even in some ways traumatizing things that can happen during a two-year window and those happenstances those chance encounters those events have kind of been either reduced or entirely taken away for so many people right if you're a seven-year-old um, and you go out and you learn how to ride a bike and then maybe you develop a passion for bike riding and then you become a fucking bmx x games bike rider or something like that like those opportunities for potential future things have been taken away from so many people. And it's that thing that I think is really interesting to think about. There's a really interesting philosophical point here too, just about like um, the kind of like chaotic dice throw of, of the encounter of the moment that, um, that, that, that is constantly presented before us as a possibility, right? Or as a, as a potential event. Um, and those things have been kind of taken away from so many people, if not entirely, at least to a greater degree. And I think it really fucking sucks. And I think... I don't know, it's just another way to kind of think about what has been taken away from people because 
of political negligence or because of the failure to prepare or because of people dragging their feet with getting vaccines or locking people down or, um, you know, whatever, whatever the solutions could have been. Um, you know, it does seem that there is blame to go around. It just seems really fucking shitty that that the encounter that the encounter has been taken away. And I'm obviously a big fan of the encounter. You know, I, I really do think that, you know, that there's so much that comes in the happenstance of that moment, the day that you went to go see that movie and that movie somehow changed your mind in some way. You know, I write about this in my book, which I call like micro psychobiological shifts that when you see a, a certain type of film, it, it literally changes you, right? It, it changes you at a, a psycho and a psychological and biological level. And those potential flows of direction and redirection, those things are kind of being taken from people. And, um, and then they're being replaced with fear, anxiety, um, you know, limited streams of how to process this information, sensationalism in the media, the daily repetitive Groundhog Day pattern of waking up, looking at the numbers, listening to people complain. If you're younger, you hear your parents fighting because of increased stress and anxiety, um, more attention being directed to online platform flows of data collection and processing. And then, um, so it's, it's like the striated paths are becoming more and more focused in these particular directions because that's what's being fed. And the possible s smooth space, to use Delizian and Guattarian language, the smooth spaces of potential freedom and flows of possible, um, possible chaotic encounter, those things are taken away. And that, I think, is really, really fucking interesting to think about in in the strong sense of interesting, but it also kind of worries me. So, But I, I just, I guess, I'd never really thought too much about that. And so that's kind of what my shitty minute is this week. What do you think about that? Yeah, dude. I mean, I, I co-sign all of that. You know, there's, especially in America, there's been kind of this turn where a lot of liberals are becoming scolds. Like they spend their whole, you know, time on social media or wherever just scolding people who are entitled, um, who are upset about the fact that just their, their state of being, right? Not really like politicizing it and just saying this this fucking sucks what's happening right now. Not any yeah. political statement, just a statement about the value of, you know, their current state of being. And then people come in and scold them like, oh, you're so privileged, oh, you're so relieved, you know, um, what do you expect? Everyone has to suffer together. And there's really, you know, a, a small but significant number of, of liberals who I think like the lockdown. Like it provides a sort of normalcy and predictability to their lives and they have gotten used to it and they feel good about themselves for doing the quote unquote right thing with regard to um, quarantining, isolating, whatever. And they would be happy with it staying that way forever. And, mm -hmm. you know, even myself, while I, you know, I abhor that, that sentiment that I see out there, um, it's easy to, to see like a 23 year old and be like, you're just, a, you know, you're just you're just being stupid, you know, just to get over it or whatever. <laughs> but then I think about it and, you know, 20, like 20 to 23 for me, those were the most formative years of my life. And I think of them as being kind of the best years of my life because I have my favorite memories from that time. But I don't think best in any like um, importantly qualitative sense, right? Not best like mm. th the most happiness happened in that time or the most well-being happened. <laughs> right. In fact, quite the opposite. There was lots of like trauma and tribulation that happened, um, especially the time there where I'm going through like the tribulations of, you know, considering my my own like uh, subjective faith and stuff like that. Uh, you know, the yeah. last couple of years of being at, our, at, at school together. Um, 
but they're the most formative. And so they're the things that impacted me the most. And so that the, the, the times when I had the experiences that are the most uh, vivid in my memory, right? As well as a time when I formed the most important friendships in my life. Um, yeah, that's which, when, that's when we were, that's when we were finishing up school, right? That's when we were finishing up. That would have been like, let's say, you know, junior, senior year of university for me. And I think for you too, right? Um, yeah, exactly. Being out on your own, those the, the first two years I was away from dorms, living with friends, yeah. becoming an actual adult human being who fucks up and gains autonomy and everything else, right? Mm. A shout yeah, out, and all by the, the way, but shout out, by the way, to uh, Dr. Diana Harold, our mutual friend. Who fuck just yeah, congrats, Diana. Yeah, 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 yeah. You so, all yeah. will remember she's... She's been on the podcast a couple times or just once. I can't remember, but she's been on the podcast before, and uh, she uh, she has passed her dissertation viva defense. So that's fucking amazing. Um, so yeah, just to finish yeah, that man. thought really quick, though. Um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. So I remember those times, and I think you know, what if I hadn't had those? I wouldn't be the person that I am today. Not that that's you know a qualitatively good or bad thing. But it's scary to think about those incredibly formative times just being lost, and that's yeah. super important. And so I think we should we shouldn't think of of kids like that as being entitled or, or being ignorant or whatever. We should sympathize. Like they're they're right. It really does suck, and we should acknowledge that. And that doesn't mean that all of a sudden we like we drop all um, all measures to uh, avoid you know COVID spread. But it just means we really should acknowledge that. This sucks a lot for everybody and especially people at certain times in their life when they have some really important formation going on and they're missing out on that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There was another there was another person who was in she was in her like mid thirties and she was saying like she's like, Yeah, she's like, you know, the tough thing too for me is she's like like dating. She's like, you know, I kinda was focusing on my career and stuff like that and the idea was I would get myself settled get the career thing and then I would be ready to kind of go out and find a find a partner she's like but now she's like it's just basically what like the online world or something like that and some people don't like the online they don't excel at the online um some people uh they have difficulties with I mean it's just difficult in general especially if you are in lockdown and then you can't meet up with somebody um it's hard to make connections in certain ways so or, or whatever the fucking thing is and she's like this is weird so it is it is also kind of changing a whole generation um from that perspective too you know whereas before you know maybe it was like especially if you're in a city like new york where you're just like constantly fucking going out and getting drinks and meeting people and hanging out and stuff like that that city the whole kind of social cultural milieu has uh has almost been like a grenade was thrown into it you know so Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of weird to to think about. And it just sucks too then when you say like if it was something that happened and it was a fucking hurricane and you're like, "Oh my god, this really fucking sucks." Um but it feels like it feels like because uh it was something that didn't have to be as severe as it was. It didn't have to be like this. I think that's where the injustice comes in, right? It feels like an injustice was done. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, yeah. And also just not only an injustice, but it, it sort of exposes a failure in our collective self. Right. And that's yeah. that's also kind of debilitating. And it, and it, you know, produces mistrust in not only government, but society at large and between people. And that's also that's not going to mm. go away. Right. A hurricane can happen. And it can kill a lot of people and be terrible. 
and it can destroy a lot of infrastructure. But then oftentimes, as long as the, the disaster isn't too bad, we find that, you know, sociology tells us this, people tend to band together pretty well in those times, yeah. right? This seems a bit different in the sense that it's exposing these you know, social weaknesses in the in, in the, the social fabric, basically, in a way that yeah. seems like it's it's unwinding the very thing it's exposing rather than producing a time for it to be strengthened. That's so true, man. Yeah, that's so true. I mean, maybe that's a topic for another time and we should wrap it up, but that's that's one of the other kind of interesting things that we could definitely linger on is how it seems like one of the biggest effects of this entire pandemic year and a half is the social divisions that are being intensified and exacerbated that are drawn along maybe the same political lines that have already kind of been drawn or or intensified and deepened over the last handful of years but um yeah the the fragmentation social fragmentation has only intensified and that's another i think big problem that um we're going to be dealing with the effects of that then for, you know, decades, right? Like centuries. Like maybe it's it's kind of literally changing, if you will, the the social and political landscape. Who fucking knows? But yeah, man, that's my shitty minute. We're uh, like seven, six, seven weeks into our, our new lockdown here because of the uh, Delta variant. And um, yeah, people are getting frustrated. It's starting to boil. Some people... The Troy asked me before we started recording, you know, what's the the scale on a scale of one to ten? What's the level of social unrest? And I said it's about an eight. Maybe for some people it's a ten, but it's definitely boiling. And if we've got another few weeks, couple months, whatever it is of this, I definitely think it's going to boil over pretty soon. So I can't foresee it getting better. Let's just say that. Not at the moment. That's the problem, is that it's not, like, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's exactly what Zizek says. He's like, yeah, sometimes when you see that light at the end of the tunnel, <laughs> it's, it's the train coming. Yeah. Train. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly, that's fucking exactly what this is. <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's one of his best lines. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fucking exactly. So, all right, let's wrap that shit up and get into this main segment, yeah? Yeah. All right, sweet. So as I said at the top of the show, what we're going to be talking about is inspired by a video from Wisecrack that came out this week that um, Greg narrated. If y'all remember Greg, Sparky Sweets, PhD, from Thug Notes. Um, And basically the video addresses how it is that the male wellness industry exploits our insecurities. And the thing is, is it's titled, you know, the male wellness industry, but really it's it's a much broader um, theme and a much broader social issue than just the male wellness industry. I think we could say it's the wellness industry, right? This video focuses on on the male wellness industry, which I was actually really appreciative of, and I was really proud that Wisecrack did it because it's one of those issues that doesn't get talked about a lot. Like we oftentimes hear about the wellness industry, and we oft we we obviously talk a lot about the effects of like the fashion industry and um, like body issue things that are targeting uh, women. But we don't often talk about like dudes and how it is that dudes deal with body dysmorphia and dudes deal with issues pertaining to like sexual virility issues and erectile dysfunction and um, just the idea of of being dominant or being an alpha and what type of social pressures are oftentimes um, projected or posited or, or pushed onto kind of dude culture and then dudes individually. And so I think it was really kind of inter- interesting that, that Wisecrack did this. I'm really glad that they did this. And 
you know, you never know what kind of impact a video like this is going to happen. Hopefully, it'll it'll kind of give people critical tools so that they can start to look at a Joe Rogan um, advertisement or some sort of if they go into their local GNC, which I don't know if every country has GNCs, but it's like Jim <laughs> Jim Bro supplement shop. If they go Not into one of those supplement shops, stuff, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if if they'll have um, if they'll have like you know kind of like defense mechanisms protective mechanisms i should say not defense mechanisms that's that sounds pejorative you know protective mechanisms against the onslaught of like body image stuff that's going to make us feel shit about ourselves and so i th- that's what i think the really good thing was i'm glad that they kind of um addressed this this topic but that's uh, I, I figured there's a lot here for us to unpack you know and as two dudes um who enjoy sports and who are in a lot of ways, even though we have gone down intellectual routes and um, and and we are sit down and read a lot of books and are nerdy in our own right in a lot of ways. Um, both of us are kind of dudish in our own ways as well. So I figured it'd be kind of um, interesting for us to maybe chat through some of this. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I mean, I think it's an ambiguity there in dudish, right? I mean, I fucking like listen to Bjork so I don't know how much of a dude you can be if if you do shit like that have you been um, watching have you been watching Olympic basketball uh well don't mention anything about that because I was super busy today and haven't been able to watch the Team USA game from last night no no but, I'm, I'm not yeah, I'm just I have saying been, you're, you're, I have been you, otherwise you're a fuck you're a dude bro you're a dude <laughs> You don't just watch basketball, you watch Olympic basketball. That's pretty dudish, bro. <laughs> yeah, that's like that's sicko shit, yeah, for sure. <laughs> that's like like I I like basketball and I don't watch Olympic basketball. You know? Dude, like, I, I, I'm, I, I, I fucking don't. watch summer league basketball. Come on, man. That's it's way more sicko than Olympic basketball. Yeah, you you used to drive to Vegas to watch the summer. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about that on the air, dude. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I went with you one time, so... Let's not know, fucking fuck dox me, dude, okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, but you listen to Bjork and you also listen to, like, the uh, heaviest of, like, metal shit, too, so, you know? Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of also one of the interesting things that we can talk about, that ambiguity about what it is to be a dude, because... There's also a sense in which what the male wellness industry is doing is kind of carving out a certain path of what it means to be a man, right? Mm. And it's like if you have this type of biological body um, and if you want to live up to the ideal image of what we are selling you, then you must do X, Y, and Z. So there's a real – there's a real like we can look at this from an economic and kind of like the insidiousness of like, oh, people are doing this for profit and gain. But there's also some psychoanalytic, some structural, some philosophical things that are going on here about constructing bodies, constructing identities. And then the problem is, is oh, you're not living up to the idealized image that we are selling to you. Therefore, you should feel shit about yourself, right? So they're essentially selling dissatisfaction, and which is – um, very shrewd from a business perspective because they know that once they can get you perpetually dissatisfied, then they can sell you an endless supply of products or workout routines or clothing styles or whatever that they can kind of hook you into and they can just drag you along and pull you along. The problem from my perspective is that what this does in the long run is it 
ultimately I think creates a sort of like pathology because I think it makes us perpetually dissatisfied with who we are, what we are, what our place is in the world, and it does this all in the name of some sort of gold standard image of manhood right that like somehow you've got the the end goal like a utopia at the end or like a heaven at the end and if one day you could just reach salvation right you will be redeemed from your sluggish slothful flabby body that is underperforming and one day you will optimize one day you will be the idealized man, Atlas, Arnold Schwarzenegger, or whatever the fuck the image is that they're selling, you know? And so in the video, they talk about, um, like, Tom Brady and his his TB12 plan, and they also talk about the pseudoscience of, like, Goop, which is Gwyneth Paltrow's um, product line, and, you know, some of the stuff that, uh, like, Joe Rogan sells from his company that he has called Onnit, O-N-N-I-T. Um, and, you know, the the things that they're all selling are all optimize, enhance, develop, grow, improve. But then this goes into the question that you asked. Improve in what? Like what exactly is health? Improve towards what? And I think the real insidious thing is what they're not saying is improve in the path towards this image that we're selling you that ultimately makes you dissatisfied so you feel like shit so you keep buying our products. That's what they're saying like in in one in one at one level. You know, and that to me is the really shitty thing. But I think the bigger question is then, then what could, what else could we do? Like, what would it mean to be healthy without kind of being trapped into these kind of like idealized fantasies of dissatisfaction? Yeah. So let me just step back and ask kind of a, an abstract philosophical question here that it's got me wondering uh, about how yep. to analyze like the, the the functional concept of health or whatever. Um, so obviously, we know that advertisement in you know, contemporary capitalism trades on the idea of creating a need that doesn't already exist so as yep. to sell a product and hopefully that product has to be, you know, resold over and over again to satisfy this newly created need. That's just how it works. Everyone knows that. That's been the case ever since everything, right? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That's just consumer capitalism in a nutshell. Everyone knows that. Now, that doesn't seem to be to be necessarily bad, right? Even if it's always bad it's not necessarily so and here's my example so imagine there's some innovative product that comes out and i don't know what it is and um it gives you or enables you with appropriate practice to produce the perfect jump shot right (laughs) Uh, so actually have you seen this new product that uh is a hand that you basically like it's like a headband you wear that has a hand on it and so it's a hand in front of your face. You're supposed to wear it while you while you practice, so that it's like a hand in your face all the time. Have you seen this thing? No. I, I gotta send it to you. It looks ridiculous. Mostly yeah. because like you don't have a hand in your face the entire time you're playing. <laughs> like, <laughs> also, hands don't usually go in your face; they go towards the ball. So like that's gonna be a weird way of like practicing your jump shot, looking around a hand. Anyway, it's not that product. That that one's obviously shitty, but something like that, right? If that came out. And it was legitimate, right? Um, it could be the case that like I would want that, right? And I wouldn't have known yeah. I wanted it before it existed. And nothing not necessarily bad that that's the case, and that I would want to, you know, get it over and over again if it was like a perishable thing. So that seems clearly different than the kind of, you know, um insidious uh wellness manipulation stuff that goes on with like goop and whatever, right? So mm-hmm. what is the difference then? Like, what's the part of it where it becomes insidious? Because it's not just the creating a need that didn't previously exist, right? There's something else well, in addition to that which is making it bad. 
does the product that that you wear on your head that puts a hand in your face so you can have a jump shot with a hand in your face does that make you feel <laughs> like shit for not having a good jump shot no it doesn't seem to prey on that it's I would. more kind of like a <laughs> no i see um, what you said <laughs> Whereas whereas these other ones seem to be much more intentionally focused on stimulating desire through affect manipulation, mm-hmm. right? Now, I mean, I guess, I guess they're all in some ways appealing to some sort of flow of affect, right? Like your desire to be Steph Curry, right? Like you could be Steph Curry if you just wore this fucking headband with a hand on it, right? <laughs> like sort of thing. And so in some ways it does appeal to a lack, right? It's definitely – drawing on a lack but it doesn't seem to be as pulverizing as these other ones that are all like hey do you not have a rock hard nine inch boner well you're a fucking loser then but but if you inject stem cells into your penis you'll never have a problem again right and then it's all tied into like male virility culture that's like in order to be a real man you gotta be an alpha with a nine inch rock hard stem cell injected penis or some shit like that right so it's this total manipulation of the human right it seems to me that there's like this Uh, creation of a problem through dissatisfaction in order to create an image of what it means to be human to be human means to be this and then particularly to be a man identifying human it means to be strong masculine alpha uh, leader of the pack dominant and then they use like evolutionary psychology and pseudoscience to be like see this is this is the stuff that supports what we're saying so not only must you think this way but if you don't you're then dumb right so then there's also a knowledge regime in this as well so it's like uh, a transformation of flows in thought a transformation in flows of kind of cultural belonging um, and it's all it's all based on like this direct assault on your feelings and it, it wants to make you feel like shit. It has to make you feel like shit rather than trying to say, oh man, let's just have some fun and yeah, you can shoot like Steph Curry too, right? Like it seems it seems different and then, and then I don't know, like maybe you will never be able to shoot like Steph Curry but it does How seem much more <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but it does seem much more like – if you sit out there and you shoot five thousand shots a day, you know, um, you're gonna you're gonna fucking improve. Whereas the other one, what are you gonna improve in? Like, yeah, if you work out, you're gonna get fucking ripped. But are you ever any closer to becoming the thing that's being sold to you? I don't think so. I think the goalpost is endlessly receding with this idealized mm. male image shit that perpetually breeds dissatisfaction whereas at least the other one is kind of like hey do you want to vacuum your house faster or wouldn't it be cool if your vacuum was just automatic and it did its thing well buy a fucking Roomba you're like oh man that is so fucking convenient right and forget about how the Roombas are mapping your homes and selling our data of our homes and shit like that to forget about <laughs> that shit for a second but just the product it has a use value that you can kind of really tie into and you're like oh there's a I didn't realize that I needed to have an automatic fucking vacuum that went around my house when I was at home so they created a need but you know what it's actually it's actually a pretty good idea and there's a solution to this immediately identified new problem right whereas this one there's no solution there's literally no solution it's being on the treadmill forever running at something but never ever getting it so I think yeah. what it does 
is it leads to deeper dissatisfaction, right? Like the more hooked into these these type of um, these type of desiring regimes of wellness, well-being, health, you know, optimization, whatever it is, I think that a hundred years down the road, the more dissatisfied you will be because your expectations become more and more kind of locked into this stream of things, where it does become pathological in its own right, you know? And I think that can be a real problem. Now, to counter this, there's obviously a lot of stuff that's like at attached to this male wellness or, or man wellness industry um, that is also like learn to be comfortable with who you are, the kind of like if you can breathe and do yoga, then you can also center yourself. And this is this is obviously not – I mean, I'm a dude, I work out four or five days a week and I take creatine and I drink protein powder and uh, I'm in pretty good shape most of my life. So um, I'm I'm bought into a lot of this as well, right? So, so this isn't me standing on a pedestal being like, let's just not work out and take care of our bodies. Um, this is also a partially self-critical, you know? Um, and I have for many years off and on practiced yoga and meditation and um, I, I, I love the benefits that can come from these things. The problem is, is, is when it turns into the manufacture of dissatisfaction. I think that's, that's the issue, right? And so what I wonder is, is even as somebody who is himself kind of hooked into these, these systems, is like what is the healthy balance here? Is, is balance even the appropriate way of, of thinking about it? You know, like what is the healthy way of, of being healthy? Yeah, so before we get to that, because that's something like the ultimate question, the the first thing is I think you pointed out so many like on point things about what makes the creation of a need thing um, bad since it's not necessarily bad, right? And there's these additional things that are sort of turning it and insidiously uh, making it bad. And I think you're right that there's at least two things that are one is um, the the sort of creating dissatisfaction, right? Because no one's going to watch the commercial for the for the jump shot uh, headband or whatever and be like, "Holy shit, I need that!" Right? Unless yeah. they've autonomously chosen to make basketball like a priority in their life, <laughs> it's the only yeah, fucking yeah. reason you would ever want to do that. Like, if you look at Steph Curry and you're like, "That's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen." then you're going to want that jump shot headband. <laughs> but if that doesn't make any sense to yeah. you, then you're a normal person and you won't want that. And that's okay because no no one who wants that headband is going to look at anybody else who doesn't want it and be like, what a fucking weirdo. Like, no, obviously I'm the weirdo, right, for wanting it. And that's yeah. fine because it's like a, you know, it's an admittance of, of uh, or admitting of the pluralism of the good there, right? Like, this is a good for me because I've autonomously chosen to make this a priority in my life, but it's totally fine that that's weird in relation to what's normal in society, right? Like that's to yeah. be expected. Whereas the the male wellness thing obviously has a sort of an end, right? Or it has a, a quote unquote proposed end. I think you're right that it's endlessly deferred, but it has a proposed end, like being the ideal man or whatever, that's you're, you're, you're sort of labeled as inferior or defective if you don't want it, right? So that makes it different from the jump shot thing, right? Since it creates yeah. a dissatisfaction based upon a proposed end that you that's mandatory, right? It's not optional. It's not optional. Yeah. Um, and then even more insidiously is if you try to achieve that end, you can't, right? So it sets you mm. up for the fall and then blames you for when you fail uh, and, and sort of has this proposed end you can never really reach. You're always asymptotally not 
uh, achieving it. the end and then feeling even more shitty about it. So it creates more, dis- more dissatisfaction than you originally had in the first place before you got addicted to the drug, right? So right. yeah, I think it's both in the process there of, of the way it creates dissatisfaction and not sort of admitting of an unnecessary ins- pluralism about the good, but then also uh, even more insidiously, the, the end itself is not even achievable, right? Um, it's a sort yeah. of fantasy end. Uh, so both those things, I think, are, are really the bad making features of of what happens sometimes in this industry. What do you think about mm. that? Yeah, and there's it's interesting because then at some point, I wonder if people find a sort of homeostasis. Like say, okay, say you're caught up in it and you're being pulled along and like seduced, if you will, um, by this by this machine of dissatisfaction. At some point, it just becomes your life. Right. At some point, maybe you aren't you don't feel shit about yourself and you aren't internalizing the shame or the guilt because you're not working out enough or eating well enough. Maybe at some point it just literally becomes your life. And I can't remember the exact term, but it's called like um, is it called like orthorexia um, where like you you can't like you become addicted like you have to only eat health foods. Right. Like yeah. you, you have to eat health foods. You have to you, and you can't like. Like it, it's literally classified as an eating disorder because of this, right? I think that's what it's called. Um, something along the lines. If if we're wrong on this, somebody shout at us on on Twitter and let us know. Um, but um, but so at some point maybe it just becomes your new habit, your new pattern. And so then this is what I wonder. At that point, this is where I talked about earlier. There's like the construction of new humanisms, right? It's the construction of the human, but in the image of that other fantasy, right? In the image of the commodified human subject that is optimized for consumption of these products that are all tied into this larger capitalist system, um, you have become optimized human that is tied into the fantasy of what? Like, you never are turned into a new type of subject in a vacuum. It's always in the service of some larger... Um, image or fantasy that it's tied to or string of images and fantasies right signifiers that are sort of like giving meaning to and um, and placing if you will your subjectivity and so that to me I think is what is interesting is is that it also comes with this possibility that you will find just a new pattern of life that hey just every day I wake up at six o'clock and I go to the gym and I have my green smoothie and then I do these things and I eat really healthy and da 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 and my life is kind of built around this and then you have just kind of become the embodiment of the ideal and I think that's also equally problematic because I'm not sure that that ideal is the one that, that we ought to be embodying right does that make sense yeah so I mean this gets to a theme that that I like to talk about a lot um on this podcast and otherwise, and that, you know, there's, I guess we can get here into the, this notion of um, what is health. It seems important and relevant here because, you know, there's, there's a biological, I mean, I don't do philosophy of biology, so I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot more uh, to go down this rabbit hole with, but there's a biological notion of health, which is functional, right? It's probably something mm. like achieving um, homeostasis for the greatest length of time, like biological st- homeostatic stability or whatever, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and whatever, and you're healthy insofar as you can maintain homeostasis as far as possible in the future or whatever, right? But there's yeah. also like a psychological notions of health, which are much more complicated, right? Because mm. um, that's got to be something to do with like a harmony between like uh, reflective 
uh, beliefs, desires, and then uh, second order beliefs and desires. And if you can, you have, you have psychological health insofar as those things are in some in some sense in unity or um, back each other up or they're uh, symbiotic or whatever, something like that, right? But there's also yeah. like you know spiritual health, which not necessarily like in a religious sense, but something to do with like the not just the psychological but the sort of moral um, and deeper meaning um, of self, which is on top of that, right? And I don't think any of those things are reducible to each other. Certainly not the psychological and spiritual to the biological, right? And so we have these different notions of health and they're not reducible to one another, not explainable in terms of one another, and they can come in tension, right? It can, and we have an example right here where something like a biologically healthy organism might be psychologically a disaster, right? And spiritually a disaster. And we might be seeing in this wellness industry a way of sort of manipulating uh, a vision of, of biological homeostatic health in a way that sort of torpedoes the other kinds of, of health, right? It works directly mm. against and destroys the psychological and the spiritual health. And so, yeah. and in, in so doing creates more need for the biological health. And that's sort of the, that's basically the game plan, right? Um, sort of refusing to disambiguate these notions of health such that they end up um, destroying one another. Like, like it's almost like a, you know, inter, inter-Nicene like terrorism um, in the self that gets created. And mm. by not doing that proper disambiguation between these notions of health and how they can be in tension, we, we, we obscure that fact, right? And that's how these kind of things mm. can, bring, can perpetuate themselves. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think what do you think it does mean to be healthy? Like how could we like in the physical sense? Like how can we navigate this like gnarly landscape of of uh the pressures that are being forced upon us and do it in a way that doesn't get us too kind of like caught up on the treadmill? I don't know, man. I mean, like my, my bizarro kind of Kantian view um would be something like Maybe they're so you know there's this problem in in ethics, like in virtue ethics, about whether or not the virtues are are um, oh, what's the phrase are all realizable together. I forget what the actual phrase is. Right? Mm. There's a question about can you have all the virtues at once, or do some of the virtues necessarily mean lacking others? Right? Like maybe <laughs> right, right. having the virtue of courage means you don't have as much of the virtue of wisdom or something like that or whatever. Mm. Right? Uh, so maybe you can't realize them all to the fullest extent, or maybe that you know having one means you automatically get the others. That's like the other extreme view, right? Yeah. Maybe something like that's a problem here, where there's just necessary tensions between biological, psychological, and spiritual health. And so, insofar as you have one, you're you're gonna like not have as much of the other or something. I don't know what I think about that, but that's a worry, right? That maybe it's just a case that you can't be fully healthy like you can't have ultimate harmony um, between all the different kinds of health and so and and maybe that's just like the state of being a a, both an animal and a and a person at the same time right is that you have these kind of conflicting um conflicting ends which don't necessarily work in harmony i don't know what do you think about that uh yeah part of me feels like like, uh Go ahead. Give me an example. Maybe you can riff on this. Like, okay, it's kind of awesome that there are some people who spend all day working on their jump shot, right? Like Steph Curry yeah. does. But then, 
are you going to be surprised if Steph Curry's not the most psychologically or spiritually healthy person in the world? He seems pretty down to earth, but we know some NBA players who are not that way. Um, Kobe was clearly not the most psychologically and spiritually healthy person in the <laughs> world, right? He was so fucking competitive. And we're, we're kind of okay with that. Maybe. Maybe we shouldn't be. Um, so mm. it, that, that's just like a, a push in the in the towards the realm of like maybe we're okay with there being this ultimate tension. Yeah. So so then maybe we should carve out. Okay. So th- that's the other thing too here that's interesting. Not everybody's going to be fucking Tom Brady, and not everybody is going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, and not everybody's going to be Steph Curry, and and not everybody should be fucking Simone Biles, right? Like like it's okay mm. to be like yeah we should we're not going to be these people. And maybe we shouldn't try to be these people, right? But the problem is, is the wellness industry tries to universalize it and say that all of us should yeah. be or could be, you know, a fucking superstar athlete, right? And 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 that's the interesting thing. So I don't know. Is there then a healthy way to be like, well, you know what? I'm working out, but I'm not trying to be um, and I will never be. Uh, you know the idealized image and that's okay and I shouldn't be um, but nevertheless are you still is that just a way to like justify like ah but I'm 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 healthy and I'm patting myself on myself on the back because I'm not caught up in it you know like that's kind of where my mind is going now because um, that would be a very convenient way to be like well I'm still going to try to obsess about what my body looks like but uh but I'm going to do it in a way – I don't know. Maybe there – I don't know. I, I think you get what I w- was saying with the first part, but I don't – I kind of like lost my train of thought there. I'm not really sure where to take it from there. But but yeah, it's the universalization of the image that I think is the real issue with regards to like this particular topic at least. You know? Yeah, so let me let me riff on that. So if, if we're going to come up with a contrast to the, the sort of bad universalization um, thing that's happening in the wellness industry, maybe yeah. something like – with the, the original example I had of the jump shot, of the, the jump shot uh, headband or whatever. And that what was good about that, or at least not bad, is that it, it sort of admitted of pluralism, right? Like this is a thing for somebody who already yeah. has, who's already developed an autonomous um, uh, priority or end for having a good jump shot. You wouldn't care about this product if you didn't already have that, right? Um, so maybe, maybe physical, biological health can be understood that way so that you have an end that you've adopted that's i want to exercise do these things even you know newfangled technologies or whatever to be physically physiologically biologically whatever healthy uh as it's that's both a function it's both a, a a functional um means because i want to i want to be healthy so that i can like do other things too like live a longer life and uh, feel good and whatever but also because in and of itself, I just I just enjoy it. It's just a, it's sort of an end that is I find mm. meaning in in and of itself, right? Mm-hmm. Without necessarily falling into the trap of it being the all-consuming, and by which everything else is judged, right? It's one end among others that one's adopted, mm. and that seems possible to me. Like it seems possible, and it seems possible that could look different for different people, right? Where you mm. could be like, you know, one person has a strict vegan diet for that reason, and the person doesn't. And that's okay. And that both flows from a, a similar, you know, goal they've adopted towards being healthy. But, you know, for one person, it's more important than the other. And not because one person is like uh, pathologically obsessed with with physical health, but because it's it's one end they've autonomously adopted 
um, without that sort of, you know, pathological means. And of course, the problem is, you know, ideally, maybe that's the, that that would be a, that would be the goal. That would be a good thing. But in a social milieu or context where you're constantly bombarded by these images and fantasies and advertisements and pressures from other people and whatnot, it's basically impossible to autonomously choose that end. Like if you choose it, it's not going to be because you considered it a good thing and adopted it. It's going to be because right. of these constant pressures. It's just there's no room for that kind of um, for that kind of process to even exist. And to go back to your virtue ethics matrix thing, maybe the other problem is is the way that particularly let's go back to kind of like uh, the the male wellness industry here. The way that that particular industry is gaining foothold in society is to the neglect of those other arenas of life that could be and maybe ought to be stimulated to make well-rounded subjects, to make well-rounded citizens, right? So it's almost skewing too much in let's just make people obsessed with their physical image tied to this mechanism of producing dissatisfaction that's tied to the idealization of what it means to be human to the neglect of what does it mean to be an artistic person or what does it mean to be in touch with your emotions or what does it mean to be socially conscientious or what does it mean to be somebody who can you know analyze um analyze puzzles or or something along those lines those things are becoming neglected or denigrated uh, as the the shadow of the male wellness industry is 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 being cast larger and larger and larger. And I think that's also another thing, especially with like social media pressures on Instagram and TikTok and with influencers and things like that, really pushing these um, these narratives about trying to optimize your appearance and optimize yourself, but it's all kind of tied to this idealization fantasy. It does so to the neglect of other aspects of what it means to be human. And maybe what what we should be and could be focusing on more of. I think that's also uh, something that comes into play here. Yeah, it does seem like the really, the really, really insidious part of it is the all-consuming nature of it, right? Where it, it, be- yeah. it becomes like it develops you morally, psychologically to view everything else in your life that is a value through the lens of this one thing. Like everything else that's a value is only a value insofar as it um, helps or hinders uh, me mm. achieve this this goal of being the ideal person, and so it becomes both addictive and um, and like narrowly focuses you to the point where nothing else seems to matter but it, right? And it's it, it's appropriate the reason like an addiction metaphor here because it's the same kind of process, right? It becomes all consuming in that way, um, and that's just that's just like warps you, right? It warps your vision of the world and of all the different kinds of value that exist out there. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, I think we can pretty much put a button on this. Is there anything in particular that you want to say? Well, I, I want to get your your view uh, a little bit more on um, what do you think about this idea of, I mean, from your, from your own perspective, maybe even if you're willing to talk about it, as someone who I think more so than me, certainly, or most people considers, you know, physiological health to be an important thing yeah. in your life and probably not just functionally like for its own sake um, yeah to some degree like how do you view 
um, that as being and what role is it's important in your life and do you see it as being independently of value to you and how, how does it relate to these other aspects um, of health like the you know the psychological and the spiritual or whatever do you see that there's some some like mutually reinforced mutual reinforcement happening there yeah. do you see some tension that happens there yeah, I mean, it's multidimensional, right? Like, I'm certainly caught up in a lot of the superficial, what I would call, like, superficial aspects of, like, wanting to look a certain way. Absolutely, you know? Um, I often joke, I think it was from American Beauty, where, you know, the dude's running and basically is like, oh, like, what's your exercise plan or something like that? And it's like, he just wants to look good naken. And it's taken on the term of, you know, the LGN diet. I just want to look good naked. So, like, obviously, that's there's a superficial aspect to it. Um, and, you know, I watch a lot of sports, and you see a lot of dude bodies that you're like, God damn, like, that guy is shredded, or that guy's ripped, or that guy looks strong. And, and I have bought into the narrative that if you look that way, you will also feel that way. For years, I mean, we're talking 20-plus years now of, of conditioning, right? Like, fuck, probably more than that. 30 years maybe since I was a kid even probably of conditioning, right? Of So I don't even know how deep those influences run, right? Like, like they fucking – they're like in the constitution of my very nervous system, right? Um, so there's definitely a superficial aspect, but – from a conscious aspect, I can also say that I am also very aware of how much I feel better. Like I was just like I've just been thinking about it over the last few weeks. I've been working out a, a lot recently and, um, you know, I've got my my vegan protein that I'm taking with my ashwagandha and uh, and, you know, I was taking like little vials of like hemp hemp oil and you know i i, I take uh you know some iron and, and b vitamins and you know apple cider vinegar and um and i generally eat pretty freaking healthy not super healthy but pretty healthy you know i'm not it's not obsessive but i'm pretty pretty healthy and um and i'm in pretty good shape right now and i actually feel fucking phenomenal i mean i just tweaked my back and my neck yesterday but that's just a silly little <laughs> mistake that i made um, which is also one of the 30s dude <laughs> yeah that's exactly what it is which is also one of the consequences of working out too you will have injuries right but um but no no but i feel great like when i'm strong and i'm really strong right now and i feel strong and my core feels together and even when i don't sleep well like i did not sleep well last night I feel fine today. Like, I feel okay right now. Like, I'm going to get a little tired in the afternoon. I know that's going to happen. But, like, right now, when I wake up in the morning, I feel good. Like, I'm ready to go, you know? Like, I need about, like, 20 minutes and my, my brain and my mouth aren't connected. But after that, I'm <laughs> fucking – I'm good, you know? Um, and so I do feel functionally strong as well, which is something that has become more important for me. And I tie this to – I don't often lift like really heavy weights and I'm not like doing like hardcore bodybuilding. I have like off and on I'll do it and I was for a couple months before we went into lockdown. Now I'm just doing plyometric shit on like bars and things like that at the at the park where they've got like bars, pull-ups, push-ups, dips and things like that. But um, before that for a couple months I was doing really heavy, heavy weights and that's great and I can do that for short periods of time but I also know that when I'm in my 60s I probably won't be doing that, right? And so I want to do something that I also know that I can maintain – so that I don't have lower back issues. Like I look at my dad who's having issues with like sciatica and his foot and his back and the this and the that. And I'm like, fuck, man. So I also want to do something that I know I can I can maintain, whether it's swimming and doing push-ups, pull-ups, dips, like that sort of thing. Like right now I feel like this is the last time in my life, like maybe for the next five to ten years where I can really do this type of 
heavy kind of intense type of working out. But the thing that's great is I also know that, and it won't be totally consistent over the next five to 10 years. You know, there are going to be times when I'm more into it and times when I'm less into it, which is how it's been for my entire kind of adult life working out. But I also know then that maybe that means that when I'm in my 60s and 70s, that it won't be hard for me to have to implement some of those things that the doctors are going to tell me that I need to make sure I'm doing so that my <laughs> cholesterol levels are good or, you know, like they'll be like, you need to start doing like this type of thing. I'll be like, that's cool. I've been doing it, you know, and I, and I can just do more of it or I can do it better or I can do it that's more tailored to, to my shifting body. And so I think that's something that's important to me as well because the quality of my life, I don't think I'm going to somehow extend my life. I don't, I rarely ever, I never actually think that I eat well and I work out so that I can live to be 90. I never, ever, ever think of it like that. I always think of it like, you know, like when I'm in my 70s, I'm going to be able to still play with grandkids, you know, <laughs> or when I'm, that's, that's how I think of it. So for I me, have to, I have to say really yeah. quick, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm actually really excited about you being one of those 70 year old dudes who's still ripped and is kind of like leathery and it's a little weird looking, but like can still run and stuff. That, that will be a yeah. kind of an adorable sight. Yeah. Yeah. And my tattoos are going to be all saggy and shit like that, but it's going to be like, <laughs> whatever, bro. Um, yeah. And, and so, so there's, there's, you know, there's the superficial side that I'm sure has seeped its way into my life, but then there's also like a, a kind of practical side that's like, no, I kind of just want to be, I want to be able to lift up stuff without feeling like I can't move furniture for the most part, or I want to be able to, you know, like pick my girl up, or I want to be able to, if, if I have kids, you know, lift my kids up, or I want to be able to, if there's a fucking wall that it needs to get knocked down in my house and I'm helping, you know, a rebuild on it, I can help like knock it down. I can pick up a sledgehammer, like, like those things. I enjoy being able to do those things. I like working with wood, you know, I want to be able to like lift wood up so that I can build a desk or I can do wood repairs on a home or something like that. Like do a little deck repair or help build a fence or, you know, like I enjoy being able to do those things. So, so part of it is also functional. Um, this isn't like it's either like, oh, I'm purely just doing this because I, I just want to be healthy and, and be functional. And then the other side uh, is like it's not superficial at all. For me, it's all of it. You know, it's like all of these dimensions yeah. are kind of all together. Yeah, it kind, it kind um, of has to be like it would be weird. Yeah. It wouldn't be weird if, if being if your desire to be healthy was purely functional. It would be very weird if it was purely not. Right. <laughs> right. You only right, saw right. it as a, as a personal goal you found meaning in and it wasn't at all for the sake of also, also for the sake of doing other things. Like it, it kind of has to be both to maintain this, this, I mean, you know, healthy balance in the meta sense. Yeah. Oh, and that's the other thing too. I really do just enjoy fucking the feeling of banging out some pull-ups. Like it feels great. I feel alive. Like my testosterone is pumping the happy chemicals in my brain. <laughs> I'm sweating. I'm listening to fucking thrice scream in my ears, whatever it is. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, like, like punching my chest or whatever the fuck it is. I'm like, I do. I feel fucking great in my body, you know? And so there is something about that as well, that, that feeling of when you're pushing at those limits, those last two reps or, you know, the final finish line where you're like, I just, you're at, you're running stairs and you're like, I fucking hate this. But the, the final 20 stairs, you just, you just bang it out. There is something that I do enjoy about that. Um, I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm sure some freaking biologist would be able to be like, I'm enjoying the production of 
maybe cortisol, like you enjoy the stress hormone that's being produced or some shit like that, but also the testosterone. Who knows what the fuck it is? But I'm enjoying my body under duress in those situations. And then, of course, that also isn't devoid from the fantasy that I have in my mind that somehow I'm fucking Arnold Schwarzenegger on Muscle Beach, you know? (laughs) So that's also there at the same time, which is like the crazy complexity of being multidimensional beings. Um, but yeah, that's that's all there as well. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, you know what would make it a lot easier to uh, be willing to do all the stuff necessary to maintain something like peak health, physical health? Hmm. If I could dunk. You know, like <laughs> I'm, 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 six, I'm six two and, and a little bit, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. I've been 6'2 since I was 14. So when I was playing high school ball, I couldn't dunk even then. Um, but I could I could hang on the rim. Like I could jump and grab the rim. I just couldn't get the ball over the rim. Um, and I definitely couldn't even do that now. Um, if I could, if I was like 6'5", I probably could have dunked at my peak yeah. physical you know, shape. And then I think I would have, it would have been really easy to maintain it. Because if you lost the ability to dunk that would be like the most depressing thing in the history of your life mm-hmm. like you need that symbol of like i used to do this and i can't and that was the awesome thing i can't do anymore i was mm. just a little bit too short and just a little bit too unathletic to accomplish that that really would have made the difference man i really believe it yeah that's why like like remembering targets that you've hit or benchmarks that you've hit is so important um and uh yeah, I think that's that's the stuff that if we if we can measure those and if we can freaking hold on to those, then we can keep motivating ourselves, right? Like, I don't really have that with regards to like weightlifting. I don't really give a shit about my numbers, but I know when I fall off, right? Like, I don't have like the I used to bench two eighty five x amount of. Time. I don't really. I used to do that shit when I was younger in my twenties. I did that, but now it's just much more like. I mean, I guess I do, like, if I if I don't work out for a couple weeks or something like that and I go, I'm like, oh, my God, I used to be able to do 20 pull-ups and now I can only do, like, fucking 10 and I'm, what the hell's going on? So I guess that does happen, but it's it's not like that's the target. I'm not like I need to maintain my ability to do 20 pull-ups, you know? It's just kind of yeah. more this overall feeling of strength in my body and groundedness that I feel. It's It's kind of weird. I don't know. It's a little bit more flowy. Yeah, I get that. That's probably a good sign, right? Um, because it's it's sort of a, it's fitting into your overall sense of of what's good in life rather than being like the the single dominating factor that governs everything else. Yeah, 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 yeah. Exactly. All right. Um, all this to say, go watch the video, the Wisecrack video. It's up on their channel. It's pretty cool. Um, some good th- good thoughts on there. It's well written, well researched, as always. I mean, you know, wisecrack. They just fucking are on the ball. So check that shit out. I got nothing else to say. Let's get into the final segment of the show. Yeah, dude. Yeah, dude. All right, sweet. So now it's time for the sticky leaves. This is the segment of the episode where one of us gets to talk about something that's giving us meaning in a potentially meaningless universe. So Troy. What is giving you meaning at the moment? So, have you heard of the BBC show Staged? No, I have not. Okay, so during lockdown, uh, two pretty famous British actors, uh, David Tennant, who people probably know most well as either either Doctor Who or the bad guy in Jessica Jones. Uh, I forget what his 
character's name was in Jessica Jones. Um, but he was like the mind manipulation guy. And he was really good in that. Um, and then Michael Sheen, who is mostly a, a stage actor in Britain, but uh, Americans probably know him best as as Frost and Frost Nixon. Um, oh yeah, as yeah. Well as a bunch of yeah, he's a, he's a he's a pretty um, big time stage actor in uh, England uh, or Britain. I think he's Welsh, so in you know in Britain as a whole, and Tennant's Scottish, so no no English people here, which is of course uh, a benefit. Um, and so these two guys. Um, they did a show called Good Omens a few years ago, which was based on a Terry Pratchett and Neil Gaiman um, kind of fantasy sci-fi uh, novel. Uh, and I guess they became really good friends. And then uh, when lockdown happened, they wanted to do something together, but they were on lockdown, um, which was much more stringent, I guess, in Britain than it was in America or Australia, obviously. So people had to actually be locked down. They had like a um, a bubble or whatever of people you were allowed to see and that was it and it was you know, strictly enforced and stuff like that. So these two guys, uh, David Tennant and Michael Sheen, decided to do a show together over Zoom. So the entire show called Staged takes place over Zoom. And the idea, they just right, right in the like middle of 2020, so just a few months after lockdown started. And uh, have you ever heard of the play Six Characters in Search of an Author? No. So I guess the idea was, the premise was, they were supposed to do this play together on stage. Um, and so they decided, well, we're on lockdown. What if we just practice the play while we're on lockdown, right? And the mm, gimmick mm-hmm. is, they, ne- they the gimmick is they never actually practice the play at all or rehearse the play. They only okay. ever talk about rehearsing the play. And then they're basically just talking about their insecurities and their mental deterioration going through lockdown <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's hilariously funny. And the whole thing is recorded on Zoom or some kind of video conferencing app. I don't think it, they ever say that it's Zoom. Um, and it's just about their mental deterioration going through the early stages of lockdown. And then the best mm. part, and every episode's 15 minutes. So it's like, it's quick, it's short. You can watch it while having dinner. It's brilliant. Uh, and the two of them having amazing comedic chemistry. I think from the fact, but given the fact that they're close friends in real life, you really, and a lot of it seems to be improvised. It all comes out that way. Uh, and they play kind of uh, idiosyncratic, uh, parodic versions of themselves, which is which is very funny. But the best part is they did a second season earlier this year in 2021, where the so the first season it's it's all played as if it's really happening, right? Like they're they're really supposed to be rehearsing this play, and they never do. And they're the things that are happening to their families, like their their wives and their their wives star in the show as well, their real life wives. Um, it's all really supposed to be happening, right? The second season is as if the first season was 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 written, right? Like it w- wasn't improvised. It wasn't um, real life. It was actually like written to be that way. Okay. The second season pretends the first season was staged, but then the <laughs> second season is also staged, but it's not played that way. So it's like a meta take on the first season. And the second season is the first season of staged was so good that uh, um, an American company wants to do a remake of stage but, but they but they don't want Michael Sheen and David Tennant because they're not famous enough <laughs> in America so they try they try and get other British actors who are more famous to do the first season of staged in America but as British actors so they get like Ewan McGregor's around and a bunch of more famous um, British and Scottish and Irish actors and a whole bunch of cameos from big, like Samuel L. Jackson's in it. I don't want to say anybody else because it's actually fun to see all the cameos that end up coming down the chute 
in the second season. Um, but it's played, it's all, you know, played for laughs. And it's, it's, there's some dramatic moments too, because like, you know, terrible shit happens during lockdown. Um, but yeah. I think it's, it's one of the funniest, most clever and interesting uh, shows I've seen. And I, and I love how they were able to take a depressing topic. Like, like I, I was, I've already said on this podcast that I'm dreading when the Adam Sandler quarantine comedy comes out. Right, mm. it's going to be awful, and there's going to be so many of these things, and they're all going to be awful. This was one of the first ones, and it was great. So let's just like watch the great one now, so we don't have to ever do it again, because it's already been done well. Let's just move on and pretend like this stuff never really happened when it comes to our sitcoms and Adam Sandler movies and whatnot. So anyway, BBC show called Staged with David Tennant, and Michael Sheen. It's fantastic, super well written. I think you especially would appreciate it because a lot of inside baseball in terms of stage acting goes on yeah. in the show. And I think there's probably a lot of stuff that I wasn't able to pick up on at all that you would really pick up on. So I think you especially would enjoy it. I'm Googling it right now because I can't believe I've never heard of this before. And I'm really even more surprised that none of my friends were like, dude, you got to check this shit out. You know? I had actually never heard of it for some reason. And of all things, my mom told me about it. Really? I don't know. I don't know how she heard about it. She likes David Tennant a lot. Um, yeah. So I guess she heard about it through, I don't know, s- somewhere online and then told me about it. And I never heard about it, even though I knew of, you know, both these guys and their um, and their filmographies. So, yeah, shout out to my mom. Fucking hilarious. That sounds so good. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm looking at it right now. I'm actually going to go talk to my actor friends and be like, what the fuck? How have we not <laughs> heard of this? Or how have you not told me about this before? It sounds fucking great. Where are you watching it? What streaming service? Oh fuck! I don't know. <laughs> oh, just one of one of them, one of the ones. Okay, one of the ones. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure we can find it. Well, sweet man. Yeah, I fucking it is. I'm actually surprised that quarantined, and it's gonna be quarantined like T E E N E. Oh yeah. Where it's gonna be like a body switch, right? Like someone. I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> oh, oh no! Adam it's Sandler be, movie. It's gonna be. Adam Sandler is going to be a divorced dad who's going to have to take over looking after his teenage daughter. And that's why it's going to be called quarantined because he was quarantined and they were quarantined together. Exactly. Millie Bobby Brown and Adam Sandler. (laughs) Oh, no. Listen, if you're a producer and you're listening to this now and you speak it into existence, (laughs) fucking A. Oh my God, Jesus! Okay, so, exactly... so I'm just looking it up, and it's on Hulu, so you can watch it on Hulu. Okay, cool, 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 perfect. All right, man. Well, thanks for the wreck. That sounds good. Um, let's go ahead and get out of here. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of Owls at Dawn. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, owls underscore at underscore dawn. You can email us, owls at dawnpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, I think that's pretty much it. Of course, as Troy said at the top of the show, uh, if you want to support us, please go to patreon.com slash owls at dawn. That's patreon.com slash owls at dawn. You can get access to bonus episodes, things like that. Throw us some pennies. And, um, yeah, we've got the patron chosen topic coming up in a couple weeks here. Of course, we'll be back next week per the huge. Troy, is there anything else that we got to say before we get out of here? Just one more thing I can think of, dude. What's that? Dasta Dania Marikonski. <laughs> <laughs>